If the lion doesn't share his story, the hunter will. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me as always on Twitter at RedRock underscore V-Ball. Make sure you are following me on Twitter and following Basketball Monster at BaskMonster. I believe that just maybe a few minutes here before I started recording that Yahoo has opened fantasy basketball uh, for the season. Better late than never, but it is open now. So you can go and check out their uh, their rankings and uh, their, get your leagues back started over there if you are using Yahoo for your leagues. Again, I believe they are open. I, I, uh, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that they are ready to go uh, over there on uh, on Yahoo. So go and check that out, of course. Let's um, let's talk about today's show. What I'm going to be looking at, uh, actually before, before I do that, uh, next week we're going to be starting the team preview series of podcasts. You're going to have uh, two per day most days uh, previewing that one specific team with a Locked On Podcast Network host that hosts that particular team's show, going through all the information of what's transpired and what we could potentially be seeing in this upcoming season. Michael Bolton's ready for today's show. Let's get to it. To it. What we're going to be doing in today's show is looking at the 2018 rookie class. Now, I have spoken about them for Dynasty Leagues pretty extensively, but I want to be focusing on them more for the 2018-19 season. So for redraft leagues, what situation are these guys in? What we can expect from these guys in terms of production for this upcoming season? So talk about the guys who are going to be standard league draftable players, the history of rookies in uh, in fantasy leagues as well, and try and get some perspective. Because almost without doubt, almost without fail, rookies in dynasty leagues, they go at a bananas level uh, in terms of where they get drafted. It is nonsense in some spots. I just did a, uh, I'm doing a startup dynasty draft at the moment, and uh, with pick 44, I got Chris Paul. Yes, I know it's a dynasty draft, but pick 44 seems uh, seems a very, very low spot for me to get Chrissy Paul, especially considering John the Baptist Collins went ahead of him, and I love John Collins, but yeah, I'll take Chris Paul at pick 44 every day of the week. Let's talk about how these rookies are potentially going to look for this upcoming season, and to do that, I want to talk about how rookies performed last season, just to give you some historical context. Now, Last season was a bumper year for rookies. We've been hearing about that draft class as being stellar for many, many years, much like we've been hearing the same with this draft class. And last year, we had eight rookies finish the year in the top 150. In fact, we had five of them in the top 100 as well. Benny Simmons, Donnie Mitchell, Lonzo Ball, Jason Tatum, Larry Markinen, The Baptist, Kyle Kuzma, and Dennis Smith Jr. They all finished the season in the top 150. You also had... Jarrett Allen, John Isaac, and De'Aaron Fox finish inside the top 200. So eight guys in the top 150. The first five of those, Simmons, Mitchell, Lonzo, Tatum, and Markinen, were all top 85 players. That is uh, a surprise. You don't normally see that with rookies. We also had two top 50 guys with Simmons and Mitchell and Lonzo just missing out on that top 50. That is a surprise type of performance for rookies. But as I said, the quality of the players in that uh, draft class, that 2017 rookie class, was always touted as being high, much like the draft class 
for 2018 has been touted as high. Whereas next year, the 2019 draft, if you are in dynasty leagues, the quality there is not considered as high. So first round picks in those drafts shouldn't be considered as highly valuable as what they have been the last couple of years. So that's the rookies that were in the top 150 last season. A pretty decent crop of guys, a few surprises there, I think, with, uh, with Kuzma, not many people. Not many people necessarily saw him, uh, at least at draft time, as being that guy. He had a stellar preseason in summer league, of course. But everyone else, you could have made that argument. Obviously, Simmons, Ball, uh, Markinen, Collins, Smith, Tatum. Uh, Don Mitchell, obviously, is the other one there who was a, a surprise performer and obviously a surprise top 50 guy out of that rookie class. But that's not the way that rookies always go. Let's have a look at what it was like in 2016. It's a lot uglier. We had four players in the top 150 compared to eight in 2017. And those four guys were Joel Embiid, who played 31 games. And then we had Malcolm Brogdon, Dario Saric, and Yogi Ferrell. And only one of those players was a top 100 guy, and that was Embiid. And I said he played only 31 games. Brogdon, Saric, and Ferrell were all outside the top 100. That was a notoriously weak crop of rookies. We had guys like... um, Brandon Ingram is a rookie in that class who who struggled, obviously, in his first season. Jalen Brown didn't put together great fantasy numbers. Um, Dragon Bender in that group as well. It wasn't a great year for rookies, but this is the sort of thing that, not that you would necessarily expect, but I would think you would hope for maybe three top 100 guys, two to three top 100 guys, uh, and maybe four or five top 150 guys. Last year was where it does end up spoiling us, but almost without doubt, you'll have eight or nine rookies go in standard fantasy drafts, and that ends up being a waste of those picks the majority of the time. So you've got the two outliers there. This 2016 class with only one top 100 guy, and he played 31 games, or you've got the 2018 or 17 uh, rookie class where you had five top 85 players and two top 50 guys and eight top 150 guys, including a bunch of other guys who had use like Dylan Brooks, like Geordie Bell, like uh, Josh the Hitman Hart, like Josh Jackson at the end of the season, like Bam Adebayo for stretches. Uh, we had guys put up some interesting performances, and this is without Markel Fultz, the number one overall pick, actually having any impact at all. So there are big changes from year to year with how rookies perform. So what we're going to look at is try and work out how we're going to view this season's rookies and how what sort of value we might be getting uh, from them. Just need to, to read a quick... Um, a quick promo note because Locked On NFL, if you, you know the NFL season starting soon, it's become the Locked On NFL of experts. Matt Williamson, you would have known, you know, Matt Williamson, uh, former uh, ESPN podcast host, he hosts Locked On NFL and it has a brand new lineup. Every Monday, it will be the Locked On, Locked On's local experts on the biggest stories. And then Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus will join every Wednesday and ESPN's amazing Mike Sando joins on Thursday. So make sure you're following Locked On NFL on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts as well, to get this amazing content. All right, let's look at the rookies for 2018 now. I'm going to go through a few guys and their corresponding ESPN rank. Again, I don't have the Yahoo rank out yet because that just got released a minute or so before I started recording. So let's have a look at these three guys I've got on my list there, DeAndre Ayton, Trey Young, and Luka Doncic. Ayton comes in ranked at 65th on uh, ESPN's rank. I actually think that he has got a legitimate chance of being the number one overall rookie this season. And I think that this year we're probably going to have about four 
top 100 guys, maybe we get to five, and I think we'll probably have uh, five or six top 150 guys. So somewhere in the middle of what we've had the last two seasons. Yes, the draft, the, the quality in this draft was always touted as being high, but with it being so big man heavy, opportunities and even playing time for big men isn't always at the same level as what it is for guards. And we've seen that in the past, even though some of those guys last season, like uh, Markin and and, uh, and Collins and Kuzma, were considered you know, big men. I guess uh, Kuzma, maybe that's a little bit of a stretch, but I think that that pushes the number a little bit down with these guys. Now that could all, all change with a lot of these players, but I think Aiton has probably the clearest shot at being top 50 this season. I don't like him as much as other guys long-term, as I've mentioned, but I think he probably tops out all rookies in terms of playing time. He's only got Dragon, Bender, Marquis, Chris, and Tyson Chandler to battle for minutes there, and I don't think any of them are going to be standing in his way. Yeah, he's not going to be putting up huge block numbers, but he will still block some shots. The efficiency is really key for him. Consider it like an Ennis Cantor-type production. Good scoring. Good rebounding, really, really strong efficiency, and actually better blocks than what Ennis can provide. Now, not going to get much in terms of steals. You're not going to get big volumes of threes or anything like that. But I think DeAndre Aiden, now I, that rank is decently high. I think it's about the right spot, and I'd be okay with taking him there because I do think he's got a significant chance of beating that number. Now, a lot of the times with their rookie ranks, you get a little bit squeamish about taking them at that spot just because there is more uh, variability in their performances. But I think Aiden around that spot wouldn't be a terrible selection. I do think there is clear top 50 upside for him coming into this season. The next guy I want to look at is Trey Young. ESPN's got him down at 105. I don't think there's really much doubt that he will start. Yes, Jeremy Lin is there, and maybe that happens for the first two weeks or so, but we don't even know if Lin is going to be healthy. He's still recovering from that torn patella tendon that he has. Young is clearly the future there. They shipped out Dennis Schroeder. Trey Young should be getting in excess of 30 minutes per night. The field goal percentage will be troublesome, but he gets to the line. He hits them at a high percentage. He's a very good passer, and he will generate assists. And he's a bad defender, but he will generate steals. He'll hit threes at high volume. You won't get any shots blocked out of him, but he has got a chance to be a top 75 guy this season, and I'd be more than comfortable taking him around that rank at around 100, around 90. I feel like there's great value in getting Trey Young at that spot. Still think he's got some significant bust potential, but if you're taking him at 100, well, there's no actual problem with that at all. I think that's a really, really good spot to be getting Trey Young. And I think that he is a guy that, that's got that path to minutes, has got the ability to produce in those categories. There is elements of risk, of course. The field goal percentage you do have to deal with, but everything else. I feel pretty good about Trey Young for this upcoming season. The next guy to talk about is Luka Doncic, who ESPN ranks at about 72. I feel like that's probably the right spot for him, meaning I'm not sure that he's going to have upside to be a top 40 or top 50 guy for this season. I love Doncic. I think he's going to be a top 20, top 25 guy initially. I worry a little bit about the Carlisle handbrake, not to say that he's going to limit him to 18 or 19 minutes per game, but it might stop him from going to 33. Instead, he plays 28 or 29 minutes. That's a possibility with Doncic. He also has to work himself in alongside the pencil, Harrison Barnes, Dirk Nowitzki, DeAndre Jordan, Dennis Smith Jr., a whole new team trying to figure out where he fits in there. I don't really have too much of a concern in terms of his his rebounding, his assists. He can get steals. He'll hit threes. He'll score okay. But will it be enough to to elevate him above that spot? I think that's probably a little bit of a risky selection there at 74 just because it could be a real rough start for Doncic. He could be comfortably outside the top 150 for the first month or two and then storm home with a top 60 finish over the, the end of the season. But it also may not happen. So while I do love Doncic and he is my clear number one dynasty guy for this upcoming season... 
I'm, I think there's a chance he finishes behind Aiden and behind Young in terms of fantasy production. But those two, are the, or those three, sorry, are the clear top three, I believe, for this season. You can have whatever order you want. They have got, uh, especially Aiden and Young, the clearest path to minutes and to roll on a team. Um, and that should be enough to get them, yeah, be fairly comfortably in the top 100 for this upcoming season. Let's have a look at the next, the next group of guys I want to talk about. Here with these rookies, we've got uh, Triple J, Jaron Jackson Jr., Wendell Carter Jr., and Kevin Knox of the New York Knicks. Now, with especially with Jackson and with Carter, I really like what they can do. They are top 25 upside type of players. They are top 50 even for this season upside type players if they were to play the minutes. I just don't think that that's going to be the case, at least for the start of the season. Wendell Carter Jr., we'll start with Jaron Jackson Jr., actually. He has a shot to start at power forward alongside Marcus but they still have Jermichael Green there. Chandler Parsons was almost exclusively a four last season, not to say that either of those guys should be in the way of Jaron Jackson, but I have very little faith in JB Pickerstaff at all. I don't think he's got developmental skills. I don't think he's got really much in terms of head coaching acumen at all, so I do worry there. And even if they start Jackson, I think they'll be limiting him to 24, 25 a night for the first first couple of months, and maybe that pushes up later. Of course, if a Marcus Soul trade does go down, which I rate as highly unlikely at this point, given the direction of the Memphis Grizzlies franchise, if that did happen, Jackson's numbers, his playing time, all of that would shoot up pretty significantly. I'm not sure that it necessarily gets to the level that we need it to be to, to be this excellent type fantasy producer. But there is that opportunity there. I would still be happy having a look at him at the, the later rounds of drafts. 102, yeah, there is element of risk there. Look, I think if he gets 25 minutes a night, he actually beats that sort of number. He can be better than that because of his combination of threes, blocks, um, you know, pretty solid-ish percentages, not great, but gets steals as a big man uh, as well. So there is some potential there for Jackson, but there is an element of risk because if the shot doesn't come around, if he can't demand usage on a 10, I think he'll be a fairly low usage type of guy. If the blocks don't translate... Much like Carl Anthony Towns, who had a stellar college block rate and then hasn't done anything in the NBA in terms of high block numbers. Towns, I believe, had an 11% block rate in college. The highest he's had in the NBA is four. So that's a pretty significant drop. Now, Jackson's got the ability to be a defensive player of the year and to be the best player in the, best defensive player in the NBA for multiple seasons. That's not going to be the case this season, but I feel pretty good about his defense. And at least that should be able to keep him on the court significantly as a rookie. I don't, yeah, don't hate that spot. It's probably actually the right sort of spot for Jaron in terms of rank, uh, but there is still some bust potential in terms of him getting the minutes that he needs to be successful in that spot. The next guy, Wendell Carter Jr., another guy that if you gave him 30 a night, he'd be a top 50 player, but Robin Lopez is there. Punch Bob Shiploke is there. Larry Markinen should be playing some minutes at center. I don't know if he will. They've also got Omar Ashik in mothballs. There's Chris Felizio there. Not that they're any impediment to Wendell Carter playing, but they are still on the roster, and who knows what sort of nonsense Fred Hoiberg is going to cook up for us this season. ESPN has Carter ranked as the 114th best player, and he could very, very easily beat that. But of course, I think that you're going to be looking at a guy who's probably outside the top 175 for the first two months of the season, or as long as Robin Lopez is there. And is that if that keeps pushing to the trade deadline, then Carter's going to be playing 21, 22 minutes per night, and it's going to be really tough to hold on to him in that scenario. Give him 29 a night, and bang, you're in a top 70 type situation. So I believe that him and Jackson could be the fourth and fifth top 100 player out of this rookie class, but it is going to just rely on what Bickerstaff and what Hoiberg do in terms of their rotation and in terms of how they play these guys. 
and what their role is going to be, especially in that early portion of the season. But Carter's a guy that I think we can come out there and expect good rebounding, good shot blocking, get some steals, above average assists for his position, and be relatively solid on the percentages as well. Not great, not coming out there and being your DeAndre Ayton 55 and 75 or anything like that, but yeah, solid enough to pay attention, hit some threes as well for both of those guys. And I think those ranks aren't too far off, and they should finish you're pretty close to those numbers. In a 12-team league or a 10-team league, we're talking about one of your last three or four picks there, and that's a totally fine spot to have a flyer on those guys, but beware. I think the first month or two could be fairly rough for them, but they could come home with top 70 finishes, especially post-All-Star break on teams who will be uh, out of the playoff race, I imagine, by then. The next guy I want to talk about is the Fort Kevin Knox, who comes in ranked at 176 on ESPN. People are going to reach like shit for this guy. They're going to be all over him because he had lots of big, big dunks, and people like big dunks at Summer League. He was much better than I anticipated. I liked his ability to create for himself, to handle the ball. Uh, he scored well, but he had a usage of 33%. He had a true shooting of under 50. He doesn't get assists or steals or blocks. His rebounding was okay. It wasn't great. His efficiency was absolutely shitful. Now, he will get minutes. Whether he starts at the three or the four in New York, I don't know. But he will start, I feel, 80% confident in that. And when uh, Porzingis returns, Porzingis. I think he still will start. But can he get you any blocks, steals, assists? Will he rebound the ball well? All of those things, at this point, I'm going to say no. I don't think he's going to be able to do them. Will he be able to give you any sort of efficiency from the field? Probably not. Will he be able to shoot the three ball efficiently? Probably not, but he'll do that in volume. So there is some value there with Kevin Knox, and I think that ESPN having him 176th is not an egregious number. I think he could be a a player that sneaks into that top 150, maybe top 130. I think expecting him to go higher than 75th or 80th in fantasy ranks for this season would be uh, would be not necessarily foolish, but it will be a high expectation. Think about the future MVP, Kyle Kuzma, who everyone was Dutch ruddering and reaching around last season. He finished the season as the 105th ranked player in 31 minutes, averaging 16 and 6 with two threes. That is a very, very Kevin Knox line. But Kevin Knox would actually have to come out and be efficient to do that. Kuzma shot 37% from three. So if you think that, uh, that, that Knox can come out and actually be really efficient, then that Kuzma production and Kuzma rank is probably the absolute ceiling that he can get to this season. And if you're taking him inside the top 100, you are burning any value you get on Knox. Even if you take him around 100 and 110, I think you're burning a lot of value for him there. But he is absolutely one of those guys that you should be taking in your last or second last round. I think that if he's around in any of my drafts where he's in that last round, I will take him. The minutes are there, the opportunity, and maybe some other shit can come together. But I don't necessarily think that he's going to be vaulting up the rankings and becoming a top 50 or top 60 guy at, at any point soon. But it will be interesting to see how he develops in a large role uh, with the Knicks, which we assume. I don't think Lance Thomas or Courtney Lee are coming in and stealing playing time for him. Well, if they are, David Fisdale is making a fairly significant mistake, in my opinion. I think those guys are probably the top six players for, for rookie leagues for this coming season. You'll notice uh, I have omitted a certain player who was picked fairly high in the NBA draft. We'll get to him in a second. But I think those are the... Um, those are the number or the top level of guys, I believe, for this upcoming season in terms of their in terms of their fantasy numbers and their fantasy impact for this uh, for this coming season. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly how all those guys work. There are a couple of those top seven picks who aren't in there, um, of course. One, two, 
345. Not in there and Marvin Bagley the third, but let's get on and talk about the next group of guys that I do want to look at, and that is including Marvin Bagley. We've got Mitchell Robinson, Marvin Bagley, and McCall Bridges. Mitchell Robinson is egregiously ranked at 346th by ESPN. He will be better than that. I feel pretty confident that on a per-game basis, he will be able to crack the top 200. It's all going to depend on, and we'll see this in the preseason, is Robinson the second string center or is he the third string center? If he's the second string center, I will draft him in the last round of drafts because his ability to block shots, his ability to play defense, that they could limit Ennis Cantor to 24, 25 minutes. If Robinson's not there, maybe Cantor plays 28. But I'd love to see Robinson out there. He could block two shots a game in 20 minutes. You could have seven rebounds and you could have 56% from the field. And the free throws could be, could be an issue. We'd have to see with that. He's not going to provide you anything with assists. He's not going to provide you anything with threes and his steals will be okay. But there is real value there with him. And of course, that makes him a really solid late pick, especially if we, well, if you're drafting before the preseason, which again, I've got no issue with people will go, man, you have to wait. You have to wait. What if someone gets injured in preseason? And I find that the most bullshit argument of all time because how did that work out for the people that waited until preseason were done and then they drafted Gordon Haywood and Jeremy Lin, who were gone in the first 20 minutes of the season. So it's it's everyone's drafting with the same set of information. If a guy gets injured in on October the 8th or he gets injured on October the 20th, what's the difference? Oh, my fantasy season was over before the season started. A, your season's never over if someone gets injured. You can always you know, recover and make moves. And B, what does it matter if you had them for one game or you had them for zero games? So that, that's just my rant. People, oh, man, why are you drafting so early? It's what you get if you draft so early. I don't subscribe to that at all. I don't believe in it at all. But you can get some value. You know, things can obviously you know, coalesce and, and change when we see things in the preseason. But it's like everyone is drafting with the same set of information. You're banking on your predictive abilities, your projection abilities, and your ability to try and say, hey, I think this situation may work out. And that's why you take a flyer on a guy like Mitchell Robinson in that last pick. Because if they put him in as the second string center from day one, bang, we're off. Top 200, let's go. Top 150, maybe. Really, really impressed with him. Marvin Bagley has an ESPN rank of 69. Giggity! Which, of course, is nice, but it's also completely, uh, I believe, completely inaccurate. I don't know how Bagley is going to be able to live up to that value. That is, to me, absolute 100% best-case scenario for Marvin Bagley. And drafting a guy who has questionable fit, I think, in the modern NBA on a team with questionable development and questionable coaching staff is just a recipe for that not working out. If anyone deems it necessary to take Bagley in a draft, please don't do it there. And again, I think I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast. But you go into a draft, man, I'm a big Duke guy. I've got to get Bagley. Man, I love Bagley. Big Kings guy. I'm going to reach for him. You're lost. You've just lost your draft if you're taking him around that spot. Man, he's ADP 69. I've got to grab him at 55 then. Nah, man, just let him go. He could be good, but who? what minutes is he playing? I know I say this all the time. Zach Randolph, Willie Cauley-Stein, Costa Kufos, Scala Bissier, Harry Giles. That's six big men. Dave Yeager, notoriously really, really kind on rookies, loves giving the minutes, loves giving development players in the future lots of playing time. Did it all year last year with Zach Randolph and Costa Kufos. Started them because they are the future of this team, really, really moving forward and progressing. So I don't think we should be looking at Bagley coming in and playing big minutes. Add on to that, he doesn't really block shots at a high level. We saw him block some shots at Summer League. His due career would tell you the opposite of that. And not a big passer, not an efficient guy, not a good shooter. Good rebounder, can be score, can score. He's efficient, but will that actually translate to the NBA? Free throw shooting's a worry. No assists, no steals. I don't love his fantasy game, and I definitely don't love him being at that pick number 69 
for this coming season. That seems like an absolute nonsense level of rankings. Again, like I mentioned on yesterday's show, you could either get a boat or you could get a mystery gift, which could turn out to be anything, even a boat. So when you're talking a pick 69, man, Bagley could become the 69th best player. How about I just grab a guy who is that spot anyway, who is going to be that and is consistently going to be that, whereas it's going to take so many weird confluence of events for Bagley to actually get anywhere near that number. The next guy I think who will have moments of fantasy relevance during the season is McCall Bridges of the Phoenix Suns. The minutes for him is going to be interesting. I don't know what Igor Kokoshkov is going to do in terms of uh, rotations. How much Devin Booker at point guard will he play? Because the more he plays Booker at point guard, the more value we get in TJ Warren, J- Joshy Jackson, and McCall Bridges. Now, I think the Bridges could leapfrog Josh Jackson in terms of being a better player as early as this season. His ability to get steals blocks and threes while doing it relatively efficiently is a really good thing for NBA teams and for fantasy value, but he is a low usage player and I think it's going to require some interesting rotation moves or maybe some injuries for him to get into the mix to be a standard league type of player. He's ranked at 182 on ESPN. I think that's pretty much bang on about where he will be for this season. It might be a little bit rough early on, but I think at some point he will work himself into a rotation level role in the mid-20s. And I do like what Bridges can do. Maybe his upside isn't as high as some of these other players, but I think his steadiness, his ability to produce and and be a good, solid contributor is right there. And we'll see that from him pretty much from day one, I believe. But there is a crush of guys at the 2-3-4 where he is going to fit in and it is going to depend on what they end up doing with Devin. Booker and where they play the majority of his minutes. All right, let's have a look at uh, another list of guys, just some guys I do want to talk about. Uh, One, two, three, four, five. Muhammad Bamba, ESPN has him ranked 109th. That seems very, very high. In order for him to get to that level, we'd have to expect that he is playing 32 minutes a night for the entirety of the season. Um, I worry about his ability to score. I worry about his ability to shoot from the field and from the free throw line. He'll bang in some threes. He has you know, really good shot blocking instincts. Some of his defensive stuff and his strength is not there. They do have Nick Vucevic. There's John Isaac. There's Aaron Gordon. There's Ken Birch. There's Tim Mozgov, not that Birch and Mozgov are going to be big impediments, but Bumba's a guy that for the first two, three, four months of the season, he's going to be playing that Bismack Biombo role from last season, where it's you know, 18, 19 minutes per night behind Vucevic. At some point, you'd want Steve Clifford to try and move into the Bumba era. How did that work for Malik Monk last season, who legitimately just got DMP CDs and they just wouldn't play him at all. And Bumba may have some of those transitional struggles that we saw from Monk last season. So taking him at 109 would be an absolute 100% waste of that sort of pick. Bumba can be an interesting guy if Vooch gets injured. And Vooch is one of those guys who's underrated injury prone, seems to get injured all the time with different weird injuries, very much like what Blake Griffin tends to do. Just something weird will always come up, whether it's concussion, an Achilles, a hand, a hamstring, an ankle, whatever it is. Some weird shit always goes down with Vooch. And he does seem like a prime candidate to be traded. No, no guarantee that that's happening, but that could open it up. But you could be sitting on a guy who's outside the top one or top 250 with Bumba for a chunk of this season, only for him to come in and be a top 100 guy for the last two months. And, and maybe he doesn't even get to that high. So I don't like that rank of him. And I think he might struggle. Colin Sexton ranked at 118th on ESPN. At this point, I don't think he's the starter for Cleveland. There's George Hill there. There's Jordan Clarkson, J.R. Smith, probably Rocket Rodney Hood, Kyle Korver, all in that mix for guard spots. 
Sexton, you know, at some point, I think will take over as a starting point guard. It's going to take Cleveland a little bit of time to get to that spot. But I don't even love Sexton as an NBA player. I think he's an inability to shoot, to hit threes, to get assists, to get steals. Uh, not going to block shots at a high level either. And the, the efficiency is going to be a problem. So even if he was installed as a 32 minute per night guy, I think he'd struggle to crack into the top 100. So by all means, take him with your last pick. I just don't think it's going to work out. And by week two of the season, you're probably going to be moving on from uh, the young bull, you know, Colin Sexton. I just don't really believe in his fantasy skill set and his ability to do what needs to be done and get the minutes that are going to be required for him to be an impact guy for this coming season. Kevin Huerta, who ESPN ranks at 204. You might think that's an odd one to include with this group. He doesn't have necessarily a clear path to minutes, but the, the Hawks love him. They want to pair him with Trey Young. They want to get that combination going. Kent Bazemore, Tyler Dorsey, these are the players ahead of him. Kent Bazemore is not very good, and there's been so many rumors about the Hawks moving him. It is true they do want to get rid of Kent Bazemore. They're not sold on him now. I think that Huerta is going to have an opportunity at some point to start. I don't know when that will be. But he's not your stereotypical white shooter. He handles the ball. He can get assists on the wing. He's not a bad defender. He will be efficient from the field, from the line. And I think if we can get him maybe a second half of the year type 30-minute role, which is a possibility, won't happen immediately, I don't think. You're going to need Bazemore out of there for that to happen. But Huerta's an interesting one who will have moments of being top 150 viable for this coming season, especially with that ability to create on the wing. We'll see if that does appear at the NBA level. We saw Torian Prince, the artist formerly known as, do that last season for the Hawks. And Huerta could be another guy who, who adds into that ball handling creation ability. Bazemore did it as well. They had him bringing the ball up a few times. Not to say that Huerta will do that, but there is you know, opportunities there for other guys to handle the ball. Lloyd Pierce will be looking to develop him alongside Trey Young. So I think he's got a pretty interesting opportunity to be a, uh, a decently impactful guy, at least for stretches for this upcoming season. I'm not going to talk about every rookie. Just a couple of other guys I think are worth mentioning. Michael Porter Jr. has a rank of 170 on ESPN. We know that he's saying he's pain-free, but I just don't buy it. I don't buy that he's going to play the whole season. I think the odds of him playing 70-plus games should be lower than him playing zero games. And by lower, I mean higher, of course, because I can't say words. Not that my job is to say words for a professional, uh, as a professional for my living. I think it's more likely that he plays zero games than he plays 70-plus games for this season. And even if he is healthy, where are the minutes coming from? What what role is he playing? Does he take over Gary Harris? Does he take over Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, Paul Millsap? Bloody throwing Trey Lyles and Farton Will Barton there as well. So at best, Isaiah Thomas. At best, he's the eighth guy on this team. At very best. I don't even believe in this guy really long-term, especially for fantasy. Do we get assist steals, blocks from him? Do we get uh, efficiency? Can he rebound? Yeah. Can he, can he score? Yeah. Maybe he, maybe he can do those things. We don't know yet. I don't really look at him as a high value fantasy proposition. Maybe he can become a star. It's just not going to happen this season. I do think the injury is going to be a real problem for him. DRC Zaire Smith. Uh, a player that is worth mentioning, 197th on ESPN's rank. He did break his foot. We'll probably see uh, a slower start to the year. There's an opportunity there for him with Ersan Ilyasova and Marco Ballinelli gone. At this point, you'd think that Markel Fultz 
and uh, Furkan Korkmaz will jump into that spot. But Smith's an interesting guy that could have a few flashes this season, but I don't expect too much out of uh, out of DRC for this upcoming season. And then you've got Ali Kobo of the Phoenix Suns. We talked about the Suns already having that weird mix of point guard, Brandon Knight, Shaq Harrison, and Kobo, or it's Devin Booker in that spot. Now, I really do believe Kobo can be a starting point guard, maybe even uh, at some point this season. But I think if he does start for the Suns this year, it will be a really short stretch. But he's got the ability to be efficient, to get steals, to get assists, to hit threes, all those things which can be really useful for us in fantasy, but I wouldn't be looking at drafting him in any sort of standard league. Just keep an eye out for him in some of these leagues. And I could say the same thing for Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's got a crush of guys ahead of him. Milos Teodosic, Lou Williams, Pat Beverly, Avery Bradley, even Sindarius Thornwell, who played well last season, and his fellow draftee, Jerome Robinson. It's just going to be hard for him to get enough minutes on a consistent basis to be considered a fantasy option. Now, I love Shea long-term. I had him as my eighth dynasty-ranked guy. I just don't think we're necessarily going to see too much out of him for this coming season, which is unfortunate. Guys, that will wrap it up for today's podcast. Go follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball at Basque Monster and at Locked On NBA Net. Go leave a five-star rating, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and on YouTube. Go smash subscribe, hit the thumbs up, and leave a comment. Next week, we'll be back with the team preview series starting. First cab off the rank will be the Cleveland Cavaliers, so stay tuned for that as I speak with Chris Manning of Locked On Cavs about, about the Cavs. Uh, guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Jalen Brown.